Okay, well, I get uh, right in here. so that's what you're looking for right there. Boom. That's okay, it. so I've, I've got to use the, the outside I'm mad at somebody voice. No, just get real close. It's fine. Okay. Welcome to the 113th episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. In this episode, you're going to hear from lead pastor Nick Gibson as he interviews Father Gregory Jensen. Father Jensen is a priest at the Orthodox Church in America and the Orthodox Christian Chaplain for the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He has a doctorate from Duquesne University's Institute of Formative Spirituality, where he studied personality theory, religion, and ministry. In this conversation, they're going to be talking about many different things, but one thing that they focus on is how we use our language when we're talking about growth. So how can we move out of the language of just psychology and into spiritual language in the ways that we talk about the things that we're dealing with? Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. I'm here with Father Gregory Jensen. He is a chaplain at the college at UW with the Orthodox students. He is also many other things. Why don't you give people a little bit of background? Well, uh, let's see. Well, first of all, it's good to be here. Yeah. And it's a, it's a beautiful sunny day here. So that's that's just putting me in a good mood. Right. Watching the snow melt. Uh, let's see. I am an Orthodox priest. I'm the pastor of St. Cyril and Methodius uh, Church on the Isthmus. So we're right by the University of Wisconsin, to the delight of many and the constraint of some, or maybe the other way around. Uh, let's see. What else? Um... I'm a professor of social ethics and young adult faith development at St. Sophia's Ukrainian Orthodox Theological Seminary in Baumbrook, New Jersey, South Baumbrook, excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, where I will be on Friday, in fact. So, yay, I fly out there once a month. Um, and tell, see, tell them like some of your training background. Well, my training background, I have a doctorate in personality theory and religion from Duquesne University. And uh, I trained as uh, a therapist, but uh, never really. I never took a, a clinical license just because wasn't particularly interested in in, in doing uh, psychotherapy for a living. Um, so, but um, imagine I, that. Well, you know, I'm 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 good at it, but it makes me a bad person. It's not a good. Yeah, it's it, not it's, for everyone. It it is. You know, it's not for everyone. And one of the things that I I, I sort of came to realize over the course of years is that, um, you know, uh, doing a good thing without God is 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 its own kind of trap. And yeah, um, yeah so I, I much prefer being a priest to being a therapist. Um, yeah. Do you think, okay, let me ask you a quick question. About yeah, people. sure. Do you think being high in empathy? tends to make people better or worse counselors? Um, that one could go either way, right? Yeah. Well, actually, um, see, I, I, my own training was psychoanalytic. Uh-huh. So um, I'm kind of cold hearted yeah. <laughs> as, 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 a, as a therapist. I don't necessarily come across as uh, immediately empathetic. Yeah, so, I would have never known that. Yeah, well, you know. well. So yeah. f- for the background of those listening, um, Father Gregory and I, I don't know if we met, do we meet for the first time at Acton We met at University? Acton, yeah. I think you were in my consumerism talk. Okay. Right yeah. there in the front, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, well, I try to make a nuisance of myself. Wow. Yeah. So, um, okay, so a couple of things listeners want to know. Um, uh, Father Father Gregory has written a book called The Cure for Consumerism, which is published, is it published by Acton? It's public, 
published by Acton. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm only about 55 pages into it, so we're not going to talk about that mainly oh, today. Good. Okay. Though I would like to talk about it another time. Absolutely. We are considering a series called Father Gregory Messes With You on this podcast, so we'll see how this one goes and go from there. All right. Um, and then, then also, Acton University, I think, and at the Acton Institute is an institute that not everybody in Madison knows about, but it is... It's worth knowing about if you, you want know, to give a summary of what it is. It is. I mean, Acton Institute is um, was founded by Father Robert Sirico, a Catholic priest in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and its its uh, its goal is to explore the relationship between virtue and the free society. Right. You know, in um, sort of, especially in in the Madison area, freedom is is reduced to um, an absence of constraints, being able to do whatever it is that that I wish. Uh, Acton takes a more classically Christian understanding is that freedom is be is not the freedom to do what I want, but the freedom to do as I ought. And and that's the life of virtue. Right. Uh, and it's virtue being willing to do, you know, the morally good thing, which is what fosters a a free society. Right. Uh, and that 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 makes sort of an intuitive sense if right. everybody does just whatever they want without regard to what's morally right then then you have chaos you have anarchy and that's not real freedom in in, a, in an ultimate sense right the american founders said that without virtue you got tyranny or sorry you got anarchy and the result of anarchy is always tyranny because people are like, we can't let people do this. Somebody has to get me, take control here. Well, yeah. And, and that, then you end up with tyranny. Exactly. And that's one of the right. reasons why that Acton also focuses on the importance of the free market um, because free, the free market has the advantage of making the consequences of my immoral decisions clear to me very, very quickly. You right. know, if I'm a if I'm a businessman who doesn't keep his promises, who teaches customers, you know, whatever short-term gain I'm going to get... Uh, over time, I'm I'm just going to go out of business because people are not going to want to work with me because I'm not a good person. Right. So the you know the 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 free market rewards virtue in the long term. Right. Yeah. But again, not something that's always an easy sell. Um, you know, especially in a part of the country where we people tend to be in favor of of big government and uh, and 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 frankly, an intrusive government. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. But but we'll, that's we'll go on to this another time. But I do want to tell people that there is something called Acton University, which is something that Father Gregory often teaches at and is usually present at, which is in June. It's in June, and uh, it's the third. It begins the third Tuesday of June, and I don't remember what the yeah, date in is. In Grand Rapids, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And there's a lot of for the for people who are like, well, I I mean, yeah, I, I I'm open to those arguments, but I'm also really interested in like social justice and so on. Um, they won't usually use those words very positively, but there's a lot on community development and the poor and what really right. helps the poor. Right. And yeah. if you want you, if you want a point of view that you might not get at UW, for example, Acton would be a very good place to ha- to listen to top level kind of Christian scholarship on what really helps the poor. Right. And, and not, I mean, and, and as it happens now in the last couple of years, Acton has uh, also been reaching out to scholars who are Jewish, uh, Muslim, mm-hmm. uh, or who have no religious orientation uh, yeah. At all, and you know that, or you know, and and why why that's valuable, I think, is because it it reminds us that what we're concerned about is what what's true, and and not just sort of pigeonholing people. And I, I think sometimes that's a that problem we have is that we look to the label rather than the the content of what the person is talking about or the content of their character. Yeah. Um. So I I think it's a it's 
in in its own way, I think it is a much more diverse and welcoming environment than, um, you know, even really than, I, I think, Madison, which tends to be fairly narrowly focused. Oh, I totally, there was nothing you couldn't talk about there, and people <laughs> would take you seriously. They, would, ah. they assumed that you were making an argument in good faith, and then they would deal with the argument on the basis of its merits. Right. As opposed to, pers- I didn't get personally attacked by anyone, and no. I said some things that were not considered helpful right. in some yeah. of the sessions. Yeah, no, I, I think they, they, they do sort of work from the pr- perspective that the, the that disagreements are disagree are good intended, you know they don't they don't assume malicious intent. Mm-hmm. No one's gonna call you a, some version of a sinner for holding a particular perspective. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's we should probably dive into some things. So all right. Um. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Father Gregory was at the Sexuality Everywhere conference we had a couple months ago here, and he was one of the one of the uh, breakout leaders. But one of the more interesting discussions that actually happened at the conference happened in the green room. <sighs> Um, over, I think it was over lunch. Over lunch, where um, Father Gregory made a number of a you evangelicals statements, which were <laughs> provocative and interesting. So uh, for the for the rest of this discussion, those of you who are listening need to know that this podcast is not well countenance political correctness, but does countenance both candor and kindness. So um, I want to invite you to say whatever sweeping sure. generalizations you think could be in any uh, way true about okay. evangelicals yeah. or anyone, and then we'll just. You know, we, it's like the shoe, if the shoe fits where it, if you eat the watermelon and spit out the seeds, you eat the barbecue and spit out the bones. That's right. kind yeah, of our yeah, attitude. So yeah. um, everybody knows that when you talk about groups of people or big ideas, generalizations ensue and you have to sort out right. whether or not it works. Okay. 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 So one of the things we talked about was you said something like this. Okay. So I'm going to misrepresent you, then properly represent yourself All right. and then defend your view with something like this. You evangelicals basically are slobberingly in love with psychological language <laughs> and you use it constantly. Right. And yeah. that there's two problems with this. One, you don't actually know what it means. And two, it's not nearly as helpful as you think it is. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. I, I, I don't remember using the word uh, slobberingly. No, in I, love. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah. But no, I, I do think though there is a, a tendency among uh, evangelical Christians to adopt psychological language. Um, and, 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 and in one regard, I, I really do admire that, um, the, you know, in my own tradition, uh, for, for a number of years, people were, were somewhat suspicious of me because I'm an academic psychologist and, you know, that, that's, that's just sort of my frame of reference. That's, right. and that's my, that's my spontaneous language. Um, so I, I, I do admire that sort of comfort that, the high degree of comfort that a lot of evangelical Christians have with psychological language uh, and the social sciences more generally. The, 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 the flip side of that, though, is that I think a lot of times evangelical Christians and, 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 and really other people are not always as aware of, as they should be of the limitations of, of that kind of psychological language. Uh, for example, Methodologically, psychologists uh, adopt a, a view of the human person, anthropology, that's called methodological individualism. And so they talk about the person in isolation from uh, the, the community. Or if they talk about the social dimension of human life, uh, the individual is, is, relative, is, is passive relative, say, to, to social forces. And that really is another part of psychological language. It tends to assume that we are the passive objects, not only of social forces, but also sort of our own internal psychological and emotional processes. 
Um, that we're passive to both of those. We're passive. That we are, yeah, we are yeah. passive so, objects. I, okay, I made a statement on Sunday morning. Tell me if you like this. Okay. So I said on Sunday morning, um, this is like the beginning of my sermon. I said, um, we tend to be constrained in our thinking by the language we use. Right. And so for a number of years, when I would think something or something would be bouncing around inside of me, I would say something like, I have in my brain. Right. Okay. And I would keep using the word brain. Mm-hmm. And I realized that when I would use the word brain, it its effect on me personally, like spiritually speaking, was I naturally took a little bit less personal responsibility right. for yeah. what was going on. And so right. I, a few years ago, I decided, no, I'm always going to say the word mind right, and okay. not the word brain. Okay. Yeah. And I found that when I did that, just that conceptual change helped me take more personal responsibility and see sure. myself as less passive because it wasn't just my brain doing this. Right, 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 right. I, mind has, the, has within it, at least for me conceptually, that... There are these more passive or biological functions, but there's also these volitional and personal functions. It's all in my mind. Right. Okay. And um, so, yeah. so in that sense, I, just the change of a, the word I would use when I spoke changed a little bit the way I thought about my personal responsibility. That I'm not just passively; it's not just happening to me. I have. I am a part. Like I have choice. Like I can volitionally make choices and things. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I mean, I mean, what you're saying is, is that you're free. Is that you're you're not a, a to victim. some extent at least? Well, well yeah. I mean, you know, but I mean, you're you're not sort of the passive victim, right. say, of of cognitive processes, or of how other people look at you. Is that there there is a there is a sphere of of freedom in your life, mm-hmm. and that that linguistic shift from brain to mind was 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 how you signaled that to yourself. Yeah, you know, uh, that was that was that for me back in the therapy days, doing therapy was always sort of one of the great struggles. Um, the reason that my clients were able to get better is because they were able to transcend their um, passivity. Well, their passivity, their their psychopathology. You know, so the interesting question was not what are your symptoms, but you know, how are you not your symptoms? But that's a spiritual process. That that's that's an exercise of freedom. So the, as a therapist, I was focusing on how are you limited, how are you constrained. But the only way my clients were going to get better was by discovering where they were free, where they were not determined, for example, by their schizophrenia, their schizophrenic symptoms or their depressive symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you see that, for example, in substance abuse. When you go to AA, um, you, know, you, 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 you have to be able to get some distance from your own desire to, to, to drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but now we're 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 sort of leaving psychology behind a little bit. We're we're going now into the realm of, really, of spirituality. Um, and you mean when we start making space for people to say they're free or to see their identity as something other than their symptoms? Yeah, um, because the the spiritual dimension, just in a, in a in a broad sense, is the realm of of human freedom. Uh, it's all the ways in which I I transcend the the empirical qualities of my life the way in which i'm more than sort of my genetic code or my family history or my social position um you know there there you know i overflow all of these categories and living in that overflow area that's that's the spiritual life again broad very broadly considered and so do you think when evangelicals or any christians use psychological language especially when they've their tutor has been more the media than right. serious social science instruction yeah that it tends to lead towards an increase in passivity well you know it 
Yeah, I mean, and, and, and it isn't just a matter of using, of evangelical Christians, for example, using psychological language. We, we run into a lot of Christians who use economic language. Um, you know, I had to, I, mean, I studied a lot of liberation theology back in the, in the 80s, uh, and that's, lang- that's a theology that's rooted very much in, in, a, in a Marxist worldview. Yeah. Um, is 80s liberation theology better? Is it like 80s rock? Like 80s uh, liber- was it better in the 80s or is it uh, the same? No, it, 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 it's always been bad. Okay. Uh, just, you know, um, yeah. It's Did always, you find any of it helpful? Like David Cohn or any, like understanding the black experience in America or any of that kind of stuff? What? Um, I mean, well, yeah. at, at bottom is Marxism, which is in my view an abomination. Was there, well, I, it, um, what, what, it's funny when I'm when I'm on campus and I listen to to, to students or, or faculty um, adopt sort of what now we call sort of a cultural Marxist perspective. Uh-huh. Um, I I find them um, honestly I find them very sweetly naive. Uh, it's like oh that's just so cute you're talking about Marx and that that's lovely and and you know you know for Marx you know, um, I've I've got to break out of false consciousness. Yeah. And that false consciousness isn't just a matter of whether or not I'm a capitalist or a member of the bourgeoisie, but for example, a lot of liberation language is just situating people in a in a new social construct. And for Marx, the point was to just to break down all of that right. so there was absolute freedom, there was no constraint at all. He said, you know, in, in the in the in the morning we 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 go right. fishing, in the afternoon we have lunch, and then in the evening we criticize philosophy. Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know, it, so it, it, it you know, there's 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 no constraints at all. And from a, a strict Marxist point of view, whether I call myself a, a, a capitalist or a member of the proletariat, whether I call myself gay, straight, or any any black, other, white. other black, white, yeah. all of these are just forms of false consciousness. Yeah. So that and, and you know I, I kind of like that about Marx um, because it reminds me that I have a tendency to make idols out of all sorts of things. Right. Um, you know, right, so that's yeah. the good part about Marx. Now, what he feel, does with it is, is is really unhelpful. Yeah, it does feel like what people call cultural Marxism now on campus. It, it feels like it's kind of like getting people into more categories and paying more attention to these categories. Right. Yeah. And yeah, and there, there, there's some interesting social scientific data that says the the more we focus on. Uh, our our uniqueness in in a radical sense. The more, in fact, what we end up doing is fostering a lack of um, of peace, of harmony. You know, because we end up slicing the pie in ever increasingly smaller pieces. Uh, we let we leave less room for ourselves and for other people, and and it becomes really isolating and 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 just. It just makes you lonely. Do you think that's true on both extremes? That like the progressive extreme, where we're all part of a personal subgroup, like I'm a black lesbian, right? Yeah. As and as well as the other extreme, like a libertarian extreme, is like there's no, there's only the individual virtue of selfishness. I am this one creature, and no one else is like me. Right. I. I yeah. I, I think. Um, well, I, I like I tell people I tend to skew libertarian, mm-hmm. uh, but not out of ideological reasons. It's just. You, know, you people, don't want people to control you. <laughs> no, people came along and, and redrew the lines. Right. You know, so yeah. one day I woke up and discovered, oh, look, the lines are new, are different now. I guess I'm, I'm a libertarian. Well, right. who figured? For now. For yeah. now, yeah. And then someone will come along and change the lines again, and I'll be something right. else. And, and that's, that's fine. But I, I do think um, 
what 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 we have are sort of competing ideologies of of individualism. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Bella in Habits of the Heart talks about um, ontological individualism. This idea among in American culture that I am I am radically unique and I'm so unique that I'm I'm my own thing. I'm kind of like my own monad, right? And I have nothing in common with anyone else. Um, and you know what? When you have that first thought at at twelve, thirteen, maybe fourteen, that that's really liberating. But when you start holding, when you're holding on to that thought in your late teens, early twenties, into your thirties and forties, mm-hmm. it's it's really sad. After you get tenure, after you get tenure, yeah. <laughs> oh, don't even get me started. But um, yeah, but I, I think I think I think your point is well taken. There are there right. are two there are these two competing streams of radical individualism right. in America. Yeah. And you know, I, I think Christians need to take what what's right from each of them and then try to try to walk the in the middle line, you know, between it. It is um I mean just for example, um we 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 hear a lot about uh homophobia or homosexuals or sexual minorities being oppressed uh and that or being mistreated and that being done by Christians. Um, and you know, over the years as I thought about it, I said, well, all right, yeah, sure. Christians do bad things to people they don't like. That, that's not good. And Christians justify our bad behavior by appealing to scripture or the Christian tradition. But, and that's not good. But as I thought about it, I realized, well, well, of, of course we do, because that's the language we have. We have biblical imagery. We have Christian theological imagery, um, and we're just going to use whatever we have. We're going to use whatever stick we have at hand to yeah. to hurt someone. But you know, I, I've been around enough to realize that I don't need Christian language or Christian theological concepts to be a jackass. Yeah, you know, I'll I'll just pick up whatever stick I have. And right, if you're going to sin, it's any weapon to hand. Ex- exactly. And yeah, yeah. And, and again, I'm a social scientist, so I look and I see. Look, we have similar behavior in people with different theologies and ideology. So it's probably not the theology. It's probably not the worldview that's causing this. It's the individual who's justifying his bad behavior, sort of after the fact, by appealing to a worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I, I think we need to be a little bit more critical about self-critical about how we 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 use the language that we use, how we use our this, how we use the scriptures, how we use the tradition. But yeah, yeah, can, yeah. so can you think of like? maybe an example of how we use psychological language when we really could use spiritual language and that spiritual language would be more helpful. Sure. Um, I get depressed and I mean, I mean really honestly dark black deep pit. I, you know, I think there are a lot of melancholy people in ministry. Yeah. Well, I'm not just melancholy. I, I, I will get suicidally depressed. Okay. Um, and it's, it's really scary. Honestly, yeah. Um, but you know, at at at, at one point, I, I began to realize, and I, I began to realize it because you know I'd studied cognitive psychology and, and, and sort of another school of psychology of, of therapy, that I was I was choosing to attend to one set of thoughts at the expense of all the other thoughts that I was having. the The example I usually use is you know you're driving along pretty day, nice outside, you got music on the radio, you're in a good mood, someone cuts you off and 
boom, you're angry and you swear. Mm-hmm. And the immediate thought is, wow, that guy made me so angry, I swore. And it's like, no, I, I was always angry. That guy, by his behavior, just did me the courtesy of, of point, helping me discover that I'm angry. You know, so a, a more spiritual, more theological approach is to say, look, well, yeah, I am depressed, and maybe even I'm, I'm tempted to, to suicide or to despair, but that's not the whole story of who I am. Uh, I mean, that's certainly not who I am in the eyes of God. And rather than talking about being depressed as if I was passive, I talk about how I'm struggling with thoughts of, de- of melancholia, thoughts of despair, thoughts of suicide. Um, but that little shift is important. You know, I'm, I'm not these symptoms. These are, these are thoughts that are feelings with which I am I'm struggling. And that means I'm active. I'm I'm being assertive. Yeah. Even though I'm suffering terribly at the moment, you know, I'm 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 engaged in spiritual combat. Um Yeah. Yeah, so that 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 that's already very as we say now empowering language. So if you were running a if you're running a ministry for people who had behaved like alcoholics. Okay. It would you say, "Hey, we're not going to do the 12-step thing. You're not going to say I'm an I'm Jim and I'm an alcoholic. You're going to say something else." Um I mean, if you want to say, hi, I'm Jim, I'm an alcoholic, I, I mean, I, okay, I'm, I'm not going to get really concerned, too concerned about the language, mm-hmm. but, um, but you would say that would just be one of your identities, right? not the, your identity. Yeah. I'm and, and, and that's really the, uh, you know, a fairly small part of, of, of who you are. I think what I would try to right. do with people is, even though that one thing may be, feel like it's ruining your whole life. So it's the biggest thing about you. You'd right. be like, well, no, it's, it, yeah, it's having a big effect, a big negative effect, but you actually are a lot more than that. Well, you really are. And, you know, it's, um, and the reason that, that, that alcoholism feels like such a big thing is because that's, that's where you're focusing all of your attention. Right. You know, it, it, you know, it, the idea is, you know, I can hold my thumb up and I can blot out the sun. That doesn't make my thumb bigger than the sun. Yeah. It, it is a question of perspective. Would you say the same thing about modern understandings of sexual identity? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Like Rosario Butterfield talks about how like this idea of a sexual identity as your most foundational right. identity is of Freud and Christians should stop stipulating it. it you like, know, stop it, assuming that you can talk that way. He, she's like, you are a image buried, image bearing creation of the holy God first. Right. Then you have, then you maybe you can have something like a sexual identity. Well, and and well, but even even the idea of a sexual identity or a sexual orientation that's already an abstraction, um, and it, it's 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 interesting because the the empirical literature would suggest quite strongly that the idea of a fixed static sexual orientation um, is 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 really rather rare. Um, for example, most people who identify, who would say that they were they were gay or lesbians, will also have romantic thoughts or sexual activity with members of the other sex. Mm-hmm. Like a full half of LG are also B. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like when you hear a number like five percent of the American population is gay, what that means is half of that percentage is bisexual uh, or behaves reasonably. Well, it, it, it uh, uh, yeah. I mean, it's. It it is very rare to find someone who is exclusively 
attracted to members of the other sex, especially when they're young. There's, there, there. It, it's um. It, it, the 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 problem is it, it's just not a good cat. It's just not a good empirical category because yeah. it, it's it's extraordinarily difficult to define. Uh, you can describe it, but it 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 it's it's much too fluid. It's much much too flexible. Mm-hmm. But it but in any case, um, but you you would also if you if you believed in saying I can define myself according to my internal sexual proclivities. Yeah, you'd also have to define yourself in all kinds of dynamics that we Christians would call profoundly sinful, even if you didn't talk about homosexual orientation. Yeah. Like I like I. Like I would have to classify myself as like a lecturer, an adulterer, like all kind, like basically every negative sexual category there is. I'd have to say I am that thing. Right. Yeah. And 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 again, kind of going back to what I said about depression a, a while ago, it mm-hmm. it it isn't that I'm depressed, but I'm struggling with with dark and despairing thoughts. It isn't that I am a homosexual or a heterosexual. Um, but that I have feelings, some of which are compatible with the gospel, some of them are compatible with what God calls us to do, who he calls us to be, and some are, are, are thoughts that I need to struggle against. And yeah. even for the even if, for example, um, an individual comes and says, well, I'm a, I'm a, a man comes to me and says, I'm attracted to women. Well, good for you. Congratulations. But, um, you know, what do you do with that attraction? You know, I, I know with with um, college students and young men, especially they'll 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 twist themselves up into knots because they 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 see they they see a woman, and they and they'll go oh but she's really attractive and I always say I was like well 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 you're supposed to be able to recognize beauty when you see it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the question is, what do you do when you see beauty? You know, it's in the nature of beauty, for example, that it attracts me. Um. You know, and that that's true with you know physical beauty with men and women, it, moral beauty, architectural um, beauty. Architectural beauty. It's in the nature of beauty that it attracts us. Now, right. what do I? What do we do with those attractions? What we don't do is build an entire identity around that attraction. Mm-hmm. Um, not because the attraction is necessarily wrong, but because the attraction is transitory and formational. And it, well. Would you say- Pardon me. Would you say formational? Well, um, no. I would say it was. It, it, it's transitory. I mean, uh-huh. attraction. You know, I, I might be attracted to you know a person today, and but those feelings will will shift over time. What if you took it out of the some more more controversial classification of like LGBT kind of attraction? You say right. My so I have a sixteen year old daughter, fourteen year old daughter. If one of my kids is attracted to a particular YouTuber. Right, right, or attracted to a person who might be a friend. Right, that that attraction is real, but it also could be formational. Like if she decides to listen to every video that YouTuber puts up, that that content related to the person she's attracted to or the things she's attracted to is going to affect her. It it affect her. It 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 yeah. It it. I mean, I I think if she listens to every YouTube video, for example, that an artist puts out. Um, yeah, that 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 that's going to have consequences, positive and negative. Um, because I mean, a, a number of Christians that I've read talk about the ennobling or ignobling effects of art, right? That art attracts us, sure, but then it also imprints us, and that imprint tends to be ignobling or ennobling. 
Um, you know, I'm 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 not too sure about that. Um, and 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 the reason, and and uh, I'll tell you why. Um, I understand where the the person is going or coming from and where they're trying to get to, mm-hmm. but uh, for a number of years, I I dealt with uh, clergy sexual misconduct, mm-hmm. and you know I've. Not only have I dealt with this in in the tradition of the Orthodox Church, but I've also dealt with miscreant, sexually miscreant Catholic and Protestant clergy. Um, and I yeah, have a, you're actually on our short list of people to call whenever we have that problem. Yeah, here's I'll, I'll tell you the short <laughs> answer. If it's criminal, call the cops. Yeah, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. No, yeah, you would be our second call. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But um, but you know, doing that work for a number of years, and I'm glad to be on the short list in a strange sort of way, <laughs> is uh, I'm honored. It's good it, to be competent. Yeah. It well, but I have a lot of really ugly pictures in my head. Yeah. And you know, one of the the difficulties people run into when they deal with clergy mes- sexual misconduct or any sort of sexual violence is that it requires holding in your head, in your you know, some really really ugly ugly pictures and ideas. Mm-hmm. Um. And those can be very degrading. It really, though, depends on 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 what you do with them. Um, you yeah. know, so I have a friend who's uh, another priest friend. He's a retired uh, military officer, and we like one of the reasons we like each other is because we have ugly pictures in our heads. Mm-hmm. We have different ugly pictures, to be sure, because yeah. I've never been to combat, but we understand that we we both carry around ugly pictures. And we like being around each other because we don't have to talk about the ugly. We yeah. just know it's there and that it's a part of us. And, and, and being able to, to know that I have ugly in me is extraordinarily helpful when, when, I, when I work with other people. Um, because it, it teaches me a sense of compassion, but it also teaches me a sense of just the kind of damage that human beings can do. Yeah. So has it has it has it degraded me, or has it or has it lifted me up in some way? It it's really kind of a mix, and I, I think art is 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 like that. It it rarely goes in in one direction or the other. Um, but again, we always want to come back to the idea of freedom. It's it's what am I going to do with this picture? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So okay, let me take a different direction since we didn't intend to talk about art criticism it's effect on soul <laughs> so take something like so one of the things you said in the email you sent me is that not only can um, psychology be an insufficient basis for Christian life but it also could be ultimate it can ultimately undermine right, our right. faith right so I like one of the one of the parenting people I like is John Roseman and he's a oh I like Roseman yeah he's like a psychologist he's basically like you basically need to throw out everything you've heard from psychologists when you parent and basically think what would your grandmother do and um I, do you mean it something like that, or do you mean it different? Um, well, I, I I would be hesitant to throw out everything, the, everything I knew about anything. Anything, right? yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's um, you know, I said nice things about Marx, you know, right? Yeah, and I think warranted. I mean, there are some very yeah. helpful ideas in yeah. Marx, and yeah, but but, I, but I I think where 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 psychology trips up Christians is um. That what psychology is, is is that Christians don't understand what psychology is good at, and what psychology is really good at yeah. is filling in the details. What it's really bad at is the is is setting sort of the overarching framework. Um, psychology is very good at telling me the next step I need to take. It is not very good in telling me the direction I need to take 
when I make that step. You know, so for example, like the moral direction you should. Well, take. the the moral, yeah, the moral direction, or what you are as a metaphysical being. Yeah, I mean, you know, psychology doesn't know that I'm created in the image of God, and can't know that. It can't know that, and it can't know that I'm called to conform my life more and more to the image of the invisible God, Jesus Christ. Right. What it can tell me, though, is, golly, aren't you an angry little puppy? Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, you're kind of resentful, too. And, uh, you know, there's some reasons why you might be angry a lot of the time and you have trouble letting go of resentment. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, okay, well, that's kind of helpful to know. But uh, but I still need to know where I'm going. So okay. So if, let's say let's see. Um, what are the things I think would be helpful for us to do another time? Okay, is a conversation called "How to Have a Helpful Spiritual Conversation." Oh, that would someone. be lovely. Because so if, if somebody says like I, I like I hate my life and I blah 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 right and they right and they're like I, and then she's like well maybe you don't have to. And so you, maybe you tell them some theological truths that they agree with, and they're like, yeah. And then they, they'll say something like, but how do I do that? Right, yeah. At that point, do you put on your psychologist hat, or do you do you begin to add in some psychological insights to the theological direction you're already laying down? Uh, you know, I, 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 um, I used to have multiple hats, and now I'm... I'm 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 staring sixty in the face and face, and it's like, yeah, it's just too much effort to take those hats on and off. But um, you know, you know, I I'll, I'll use what I know from psychology to sort of, uh, well, not to sort of, but to 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 maybe to, to to help people sort of reflect a little bit more carefully on themselves. For example, if someone says, "I hate my life." Dude, that is like a huge thing to do. That takes a lot of effort. How do you have time left for anything else? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to be hating everything all the time. And and usually when I say something like that, people start laughing. It's mm-hmm. like, well, yeah, I don't hate all of my life. I, I hate bits and pieces of it. Yeah. You know, and that, 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 that's, that, I mean, that's just something I, I would have learned as a therapist. Whenever people say things like never or always, when they make these grand totalizing statements, yeah. that's a part of their personal mythology. Right. A sense uh, of proportion is a f- important step. You know, it really is. And um, I find know, myself teaching that to teenagers constantly. I, oh, well, I, I find myself teaching that to adults who ought to know better. Yeah. But I have a, a friend, he's a, he's a monk in, uh, in Europe, and he gave me a very good piece of advice. He said, you know, the secret to the spiritual life is there is no secret. The spiritual life is just being alive. And he said, you know, what you want to look at are all the different ways in which you're not alive. You know, what are all the different ways in which you're constrained? What are all the different ways in which you're, you're, you're ruled by fear or despair or anxiety or resentment? Um, you know, and, and those, those, those are the things that really trip me up. Mm-hmm. And most of, most of my fears and resentments are really petty. I mean, they're really, 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 I, boy, I wish I was better at resenting. But I just resent like little stuff. Yeah, you know, on the first page, I think it's on the first page of the introduction to Brothers Karamazov, Dostoevsky says, we are not nearly as complicated as we think we are. No. And all of his characters are kind of, he, he almost coins the term buffoonery. Right. Where like he has a character that acts so ridiculous. Right. And it's so transparently ridiculous that you, you're reading this, you're like, this guy's really stupid. Yep. But his whole point kind of is that, yeah, you're, everybody's like that. 
like if, if you take off a very thin veneer of sophistication, mm-hmm. everybody is behaving like a buffoon. What is driving them? Their resentment, their fear, their pride, their anger. It should be so obvious. It is only our incredibly weak sense of spiritual perception that allows us to masquerade as sophisticated when it should be so obvious that we're full of resentment or we're full of fear. Or we're full yeah. Of I mean, that's why for all his faults, I really like Freud. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I tell people all the time, um, you know, there has never been anyone in Western history who has been as wrong as Freud when Freud was wrong. But when Freud was right, yeah. no one has ever been more right. I mean, I in fact, I am a seething cauldron of polymorphously perverse desires. Mm-hmm. And I spend a huge amount of time pretending that's not so and then trying to convince you and everyone else around me that it's not so. Yeah, he's kind of like the, like the carpenter with the 22-ounce hammer who's trying to to like nail in a four inch nail and he like completely misses the nail like five times. Yep. But when he hits it, it goes all the way in. It, 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 it does. It's and like, pop. yeah. And, and, and he was, he was, he was responding to a, you know, a, a, a sort of a, a culture or a, a social situation, in which people were really heavily invested in appearance at the expense of everything else. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the church participating in that. Well, yeah, actively. Yeah, uh, and 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 so you could understand his feeling of the futility of religion—that like the Christian right. religion was not really helping us become more authentic people, more alive, right, more real. But actually, it was it was it was a it was being used as a layer of charade, right. by by which human beings could pretend, right. And and you know, and not to sort of the flip side, you know, and the reason that we were using the the church or Christian language to do that is because that was a language we had, mm-hmm. and. We would have you. I have a friend who's a uh, therapist out right. in Virginia, and he said, "I'm not neurotic because I'm Catholic. I'm just neurotic. Catholic <laughs> is my justification after the fact." And but you know, I'm going to find a, a whole set of reasons for why it's okay for me to feel guilty and misunderstood. And you know, maybe the reason is religion. Maybe the reason is economics. Maybe it's the color of my skin. Maybe it's the color of your skin. Mm-hmm. I'm always going to be looking for that reason to justify myself. Okay, so let me take this. Let me not push back on it, but like one of the things because I'm trying to think of like what listeners would think of this. I remember when I was younger, I'm talking with a, a Jewish rabbi who was in the reform side of things. And yeah, so he, was a, he was a religious pluralist, right? And so I was talking to him about. Um, things religious. And he said, you know, I, I don't really believe in Judaism or Christianity or Hinduism. I believe in a universally recognizable thing that you might call holiness. Okay. And yeah, he said, it sounds reform. <laughs> yeah. And he said, you know, I've seen this in Hindu monks. I've seen this in, you know, Jew- and he's like, right. And so on. Right. Yeah. Carmelite nuns. And right. And somebody could take what you said that way. Right. That, like, except the opposite. They, they could say, like, basically, either human being is willing to be authentic and open and to deal with stuff, or they aren't, no matter what skin color, no matter what intersectional right. reality there is of them, or religious faith. And so, but I don't think you believe that. I think that you believe that Christianity can be used. Right, yeah. No, what, what, I'm, what I'm arguing is that people are, 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 are misusing the gospel to the detriment of self and others. Um, yeah. I mean, that, and that, you know, that, that, that doesn't touch on the, on the truth of the gospel, Right. That that just reflects my 
almost infinite ability to be to engage in self-justification. And you say the same thing is true of psychology. Uh, yeah. That it, people will use psychology to justify themselves, and that doesn't actually reflect on the truth of psychology No, either. and I mean, uh, you know, the, there's a social psychologist, Jonathan Haidt, who, mm-hmm. who's, who's actually begun to point out that... Right, you The know, Righteous Mind is one of his famous mind. book, right? And he just... Coddling of American Mind is one of his more right. recent books, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. He, you know, he's pointed out that, you know, gosh, psychologists are almost all to the left. Yes. Uh, and he said, you know, and that increasingly in, in, all women and increasingly all women. And he said that this is not good for the profession. Right. Um, and yeah, or know, any profession or well, right. it, it, yeah. it isn't, you know, and, um, you know, the uh, the Atlantic just published a survey about uh, political prejudice in America. And Madison, yay, is in the hundredth percentile, which means there is no place in America that is as politically prejudiced against the other side of the aisle as in Madison. Oh wow! Okay. Now it now it just happened. It doesn't really surprise me. Well, no, but it, <laughs> but you know, but there are other parts of the country that are hundred in the hundredth percentile. Uh-huh. But they just are the hundredth percentile, and they're conservatives who are biased against liberals. In Madison, we have liberals and progressives who are biased against conservatives. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in neither case is it good for the the body politic right. because we miss things. We, 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 because we're, we're in our little silo yeah, and we're just used to talking to people who agree with us. And so it becomes this massive experience of confirmation bias. Yeah. I don't know anyone who voted for Donald Trump. Right. You know, interest of full disclosure, I did not vote for either major political party candidate in the last election. Won't tell you who I voted for, but it wasn't either of them. Yeah. But, um, it, you wrote it in yourself. I did not. I have enough. <laughs> I have enough trouble in my life. But, but you know, it, it was interesting talking to people because um, you know I have a fairly large Facebook group, and and there were people on both sides of the aisle who could not imagine that anyone would vote for the other candidate except out of malice, right, and, or stupidity. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're you're just stupid and evil, yeah. and both sides were saying that, right? Um, I, yeah, it really bothered me the transparent tomfoolery of each side's argument that their guy was so obviously the right choice. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, of course in Madison, most of those arguments were to the left and I just was like, this is so dumb. Like my, I cannot tell you how many times somebody said to me, um, it's like Trump is like a Shakespearean like thing. He's like, like one of these, one of these tragedy like people in a Shakespeare play. And I was like, that is the dumbest argument I've ever heard. Like, yes, he absolutely is. He is clearly King Lear. And Hillary Clinton is Macbeth. They're both tragic Shakespearean, like, he, he, heroes. Like, just, but you're still picking your poison. I mean, they, they both can be found in the Bard's canon. Well, yeah. And actually, there was, a, there was an article appeared just before the election that pointed out that <clears throat> Trump and Clinton were just two sides of the sexual revolution. Yeah. Uh, you know, Clinton was the angry feminist, and um, Trump was Trump, the resentful. He was the well, he was misogynist. The, yeah, well, he actually he was the he was the the hedonist. He was sort of like a a poor man's uh, member. He was like a poor man's Rat Pack. Okay, you know, he he wasn't as classy as Sinatra, right? But he aspired to be, yeah. you, you know, and 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 uh, you know, so what you were picking were 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 two candidates who had complementary moral deficits. Yeah. Um, and who are going to pursue policies, some good policies, but but also some some morally dubious policies. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. And it, 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 it's very hard to make, to get people to see that, you know, whether you voted for Trump or Clinton, at least in part, you were voting against the other bad choice. Yeah. So, but we don't see that when we're, when we're in our little silos where everyone we know voted for the candidate that we voted for. Everyone has the same moral vision that we, we have. And, and again, that's, that's, that's not just a matter of liberal or conservative or, or even Christian non-Christian, because Christians have our blind spots as, as do everyone else. Yeah. Okay, so we're pushing 50 minutes here. Let me, All right. I need to ask you kind of a wrap-up. Oh, here. thank God. Or we should just start a new podcast. Uh, and it's like close to dinner. <laughs> um, so uh, people can't see you, but you're in like full Orthodox priest regalia. I am. And um, one of the questions that people have to deal with if you are whatever you would think you are politically, just if you are a Bible-believing or historically Orthodox right. Christian, Orthodox small O, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is in a culture like this, do you try to do this sort of 1 Corinthians 9, become all things to all people, be as as like them as possible so that the ways you are unlike them are not as difficult for them? Or do you do the full uh, sermons and acts, you people killed Jesus and kind of, is <laughs> sort of oppositional, very different to demonstrate that there is a real difference and no, no confusion that there isn't. Um, it seems like the Orthodox Church, folks in America at least, take the like, we are going to be one hundred percent Orthodox. Well, well, I mean, you know, I, well, I mean, you know, saying we're going to be one hundred percent Orthodox is like saying I'm going to be one hundred percent faithful to my wife. Right. Um, you know, you should be whatever it is you believe, and you should you should do it. You know, in a in a, in a maximalist sense, I, I did a, an interview for uh, InterVarsity last week, and the kids were were taken aback that I didn't particularly like C.S. Lewis. Okay, and I said, well, I you know I, I don't like mere Christianity because I'm Orthodox, and you know mere Christianity just just you know, we're maximalists, so we we are we are we are maximalists. But what that looks like in any particular situation is 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 really going to shift, depending. You know, not only on, on 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 what's going on in my life at the moment, but also how the person responds to me. Right. So, for example, sometimes when I show up on, when people see me and I'm in a cassock and a cross, I'll get like, "Dude, like, what are you?" And my one of my stock responses is, "I'm a Martian," and you know, I, I realize that you don't realize you don't think I'm a Martian, and that's because you're a racist and you think that Martians are green, but in fact, Martians are all sorts of colors. And we do have antennas, but it was college. I got experimental, and I regret that decision. And usually at this point, people are laughing, you know. Or uh, I go to a conference, and people will say, can I take a picture with you? I said, well, you can, but I don't show up on film. <laughs> and I guess, like, really? It's like, yeah, no, of course I show up on film. But uh, I just don't show up well. Um, you know, so I, at, at least for myself, um, you know, I, I, I try to take, how I dress and how I respond to people with 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 a, with a sense of humor. Yeah, but do you do? Is there a certain amount of? I don't know. Not but perverse we can, pleasure. We can but, be jerks. But is there a certain amount of like, if the uh, if Orthodox Jesus showed up and was like, you don't have to do this, 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 and this. I want you to be more like the like. Would, would you just be like, N- well, okay. okay, but like, would you kind of feel like he wouldn't say that partly because the difference is part of the cell, like. Well, <laughs> on some level, people need to give up on. It's how I got my market share. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, at you know, I'm I'm not unaware of that as as a possibility, um, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm I'm critical of it when I run into it among other Orthodox Christians, 
Um, you know, this, this, you know, what I tell people is like, this is America and Americans like the new thing. And if the new thing is 20 centuries old or 18 centuries old, you know, it's new to them. So right. It can gonna, still be the next thing. It's the next thing. And that, that's, that, that is a really, that's not a bad starting point, but it's not going to get you very far. Right. Um, there's no stability in that. There, 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 there really isn't because they're always looking for the next new thing. Um, this is this is one of the reasons why I I, I I I work for the work stay involved with the Act Institute is why I'm still a member of the American Psychological Association. Um, is 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 that this gives me a little bit of critical distance that I, I think is important uh, because again confirmation bias is always a problem and you know Orthodox Christians have our own confirmation biases. Yeah. Um, but you, you, you know, I mean, there, there are theological reasons for why I, I do what I do, but even, even what I'm wearing now, for example, the cassock and the cross, um, there are times when I've, I, you know, I, I leave the cassock at church and it only, you know, I, I like wear a Roman collar, like a Catholic priest. Um, and that, that depends on the, the guidelines of, of the bishop. Or the parish I'm serving, okay. Um, or 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 what I'm what I'm doing, who I'm doing it with. In in Madison, I tend to like cassock and cross. Um, part of it is 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 being a little confrontational, mm-hmm. but let's be honest, this is Madison, and it's kind of a confrontational place in a yeah, you know, passive aggressive Midwestern kind of way. Uh, yeah, very passive aggressive. It, it's just yeah. But uh, I'm originally from Dallas, and I learned to drive in Dallas. And whenever I go back home, I have to be careful when I come back to Madison because I drive like I'm from Dallas, which is you know 70 miles an hour and bumper to bumper traffic. Oh, yeah. And here it, it yeah, it, people freak out. They do, they do. Um, but you know, I I, I I try to gauge what I wear and how I present myself based on on context. I mean, I think it's interesting because like modern, modern. Um, minute like, I, f- I feel like the modern it, moment is very boring. It, it, it I, well, this is what I will say. It's uh, remember in the eighties and nineties, people were wearing witness T-shirts and they had bumper stickers, "Honk if you love Jesus," and yeah. you know, it, it, that never worked. Yeah, that's true. I mean, whatever else you can be said about a cassock or dressing uh-huh. like an Orthodox priest is, you know, people do ask me about it, mm-hmm. uh, and that that is sort of a, a great opportunity to witness yeah um either to to someone who isn't a believer or to encourage someone who is a believer yeah um and you, you know the the fact of the matter is you know I, I think one of the worst things that clergy do have done is that we've we've given up a distinctive attire a distinctive way of dress now, i had an anglican friend in the south who was very big on that he's like you should wear your yoke like your call the yoke of your calling that demonstrates the distinctiveness of what you do, yeah, or, you should bear, yeah, or or even a a black suit and tie. Yeah, he said that he said that because he had been a military guy, right, and then he was a Anglican priest, and he also believed that about businessmen. He's like businessmen should wear ties. Like I people, I agree. People who are in different professions and have different yokes in their profession should wear the yoke of their profession. I I I I, I agree. You know, um, actually, one of the other reasons I wear a cassock is it keeps me honest. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it does. You, you know, yeah, I can see that. You know, it's just like yeah, it's always on display. Yeah, 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I, you know, I got to learn to live in public because, you know, there's going to come a point in my life where I'm standing before Jesus and it's all going to be public anyway. Right. So. Yeah, I spent a good bit of my ministry. One of the things I like about you is I feel like one of the things we share is we feel like we can help people move towards godliness. But mm-hmm. one of the big things is we would like them to know how big a sinner we are. And for that to be help, that could be helpful to them if they would grapple with it. It, it, you know, it. I, I think you know, it's, 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 it's interesting. Um, you know, a lot of times when you hear a sermon, you, it, you come away that was interesting. But I wonder if this guy has ever struggled with sin in his life. Yeah. Uh, and and it isn't because necessarily because he, he presents himself as 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 so so much holier. Yeah. It's just he's so bland. Yeah, there's 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 no struggle in in life. I know. You know, I got I got very good advice from a social worker when I was a new priest. She said, "Look, here's what you want to do. I sin, we're good." And you know, I, I you know, I, and and that that forces me into a discipline that when I talk about sin in in a sermon, it has to be my sin. And it has to be a sin that 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 I'm really struggling with. Um, By we are good, does that mean that like you say about the all of us together, we are good? Right. I don't point and you say you are a sinful community. I am a sinner. You know, but so I mean, basically, the, do you believe we are good? I do believe we're good. Okay. I do. I do. Um, I don't think we're perfect. Yeah. Uh, but. But I have a hard time believing that each individual person is a sinner, and then we are good. Well, you know, I, 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 I believe. I see. I see. I, I believe even if the person's a sinner, he's 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 still good because sin is not the most basic element of of my identity. Right. You know. The, the most basic truth about anyone I meet is that that person is created in the image of God and that God loves him. Mm-hmm. And that God sees in that person a goodness that often he can't see in himself. And my, my first job, my first job, if I want to bring someone to repentance, is to help them see the goodness that God in them that God sees in them. Okay, I would love to... Uh, we, we're going to close this podcast yeah. up, but I would All love right. to have a very lively argument with you about oh, that all right because i'm very prone to say to talk about to use the language of value right but not good yeah because i'm a good calvinist yeah i believe they're good um but i do believe they're valuable right but I, it sounds like and i think the orthodox church works this theology more than i'm used to which is like no they're also good yeah they're sinners they and yeah. they can be damned but they're also good, and they're both at the same time. And I would, I'd love to argue with you about Absolute. that. Oh, we could argue, but I'll win. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure <laughs> well, because no, it's because it's just so much more optimistic. I might not be right, but yeah. it's, it's it's terribly attractive. Yeah, it's politically favorable, right? It it, it is until you just, just sketch out some of the implications. But that's yeah. for another time. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for doing this. Absolutely, I appreciate it. I don't know if you know this, but like after the sexuality conference. We went up over 400 subscribers, so there Did are a few you? people who will hear this. Oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that, that, that's great. And um, are you on iTunes, or yeah. what services are you on? Yeah. Okay. And what's, a, a bunch of them. Yeah. Okay, what's iTunes. the name so I can tell people? Oh, it's um, it's Engage and Equip Podcast. Engage and Equip Podcast. E- yeah. Okay. Engage and Equip Madison. If they put that in, they'll get it. Okay. Well, I, it just, I, will, I will circulate this amongst my Orthodox friends <laughs> who will- Good. 
once again worry about me. Good. I hope you'll come back. And Absolutely. We'll try to get you a little bit more livid next time, though. You were very like calm and I was not particularly offensive. Uh, or... well, I, uh, just yeah. So well, okay. <laughs> we want we want the kind of podcast that people could be driving at two a.m. and they will be awake and focused on the road. Okay. Well, and I, growing I, spiritually. I, if you'd like, I I I, I could swear. <laughs> But yeah, well, you did not. say one word that we haven't used on the podcast before. So we'll, what was we'll that go for another one next? I think you said jackass at one point. Oh, yes. Well, yeah. you know, yes. Well, you know, which I think if you put the word with Jack, it works. I don't know if you know this, but this is a quick aside. I was preaching on the give to Caesar what Caesar's right. That yeah, part, yeah, yeah. That part of Luke and the uh, Jesus says, show me the denarii. Right. Mm-hmm. And I and I was I was doing some research on this, obviously. And the copper coin that was the, the denomination under the denarii was was called the ass. Yep. A-S. And a number of them are would be asses. Right. And 10 asses make a denarii. Right. Right. And so <laughs> I was thinking, you know, a pastor could say, like at a staff meeting, you know, there's enough asses in this room to make a denarii. There you go. And that would be funny, but, that, but I didn't use it in my sermon. Well, it, 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 it's, it, it, it's an obscure joke. Yeah. But it's a good one. Yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah. All right. All right. So we'll probably get some emails about that. All right. Well, thanks for being here. Thank and you, I hope sir. You guys good to be here. Found this helpful. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us online on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or otherwise share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways that we have to reach new listeners. So until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage in